some, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, I, I don't know if you ever heard about the story of a primary school teacher who asked her class to, uh, was they drawing pic- just to draw pictures, we went, kind of went around and asked them, what are you drawing? What have you chosen to draw? And so she went to one girl, and one girl was really concentrating on what she was drawing. And I said, well, tell me, what are you drawing? And the girl replied, I'm drawing God. The primary school teacher was a little bit taken back, paused and said, well, no one knows what God looks like. The girl, without, without even looking up, said, well, they will in a minute. <laughs> we all have a perspective, don't we, on how we see God. We all have a perspective on, on our view of God. And just like that little girl, we could all do our own drawings, if you like, of what God is like. You know, we go into secondary schools as step. And one of the things we love to do is to take a pack, a pack of picture cards with us. Simple cards with some pictures on. And we give them to students and say, look, spread them all out and pick a card that for you represent w- represents what God's like. And it's amazing what kind of comes back. You know, there's a picture of a lightning storm and some people are like, oh, I think God's like this because he's powerful. Um, and there's a picture of um, a, a, a pair of hands holding a, a, a broken heart. They're like, oh, God's like that. And then for some people, it's like, well, this picture of an empty chair, that's, that's for me because, you know, God's just not there. And then for others, is there's a picture of a dad holding a, a little boy on his shoulders. And, and they're like, well, that, that's what God's like. He carries us through life. And we all have our, our, our viewpoint on what God's like. We all have our perspective. We all have a unique perspective. But, and some would say, like, God's a bit like a multifaceted diamond with lots of faces. You can kind of gaze at him from all different angles, and you'll catch a new glimpse, a new aspect of his character, of who he is. You know, his goodness, his love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his majesty, his holiness. You know, you can look and look and see something different each time. But it's important to acknowledge that our view of God isn't perfect. It's a 1 Corinthians 13, 12 that says, for now we only see as in a mirror. I like how the King James Version puts it. It says, for now we see through a glass darkly. It's like we're peering and we, we've, we've got a glimpse, but we've not got a perfect view. And so each of us, we need to, to recognize that our view of God can be distorted. And, and life experience and circumstances and misunderstanding and disappointments and wounds from the past, they can come in and they can distort our view of who God, it, God is. It was um, uh, the great theologian A.W. Tozer who said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'll say that quote again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Why would he say that? Why would it be the most important thing? It's because how you see God, it, it determines what you believe in your heart, determines your actions and your behavior. That's where things come out from. So if you believe God to be generous and you've experienced that generosity of God, then you will be, tend to be more generous towards others. Or if you believe God to be compassionate, you've experienced his love and compassionate for yourself, then you'll be more compassionate towards those around you. And there's a story in um, Luke 7, which I absolutely love. Um, uh, it's about uh, a woman. Um, it's called the story of the woman of the alabaster jar. But what's happening is Jesus is uh, meeting and eating with a religious leader, a guy called Simon, a Pharisee. And they're, they're reclining at the table. When along comes this woman, she bursts in. And this, this woman, she's led an immoral lifestyle. And everyone in the room knows it apart from maybe Jesus, in, they, they think. And she, you know, she's, she's come, she comes in, she bursts in, and she's crying. And she's carrying this, this, this jar of expensive perfume. 
and she starts weeping. And so Jesus is at the table, and you can imagine she, she kneels down behind him and is weeping at his feet, and the teardrops are falling on Jesus' feet. And then she pours the perfume on his feet, and she starts to dry his feet with her hair. And so Simon's offended by this. This religious leader, he's offended by this. He's, and, and he's thinking, if this Jesus really was something, he would know that this woman's a sinner. Yeah, and Jesus, it's Jesus, naturally knows what he's thinking. He knows he's right. You can see right through him. He knows exactly what he's thinking. So he tells him a story about two people who were loaned money. And he says, well, one of them was lo- loaned tens of thousands of pounds. The other one was, owned, was loaned hundreds of pounds. But neither of them then could repay the debt. So the lender decided to cancel both debts. Incidentally, I wish my bank did things like that. That would be really nice, wouldn't it? Probably wouldn't stay in business very long there. And so he asked Simon a question. Which one of them do you think loved the lender more after that? And Simon answers, I suppose it's the one who had the larger debt cancelled. Jesus says, yeah, that's correct. And then he says, notice this woman. Notice her, really notice her. She loves much as she's experienced the forgiveness of much. But a person who has been forgiven little loves little. You see, the woman had a better view of God's grace and forgiveness. She had gratitude in her heart. She knew she had been forgiven so much, and it poured out of her in gratitude, in adoration, in worship. Simon had a distorted view of God. It was holding him in chains. He thought, God rejects sinners. That was his his view of God. God rejects sinners. God would reject this woman. And it was holding him in chains from seeing his own need for deep forgiveness. So you see, how we view God is important. And it's also important how we hear God as well. It's also important how we hear God. Let me give you an example. I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here. Um, I'm going to give an example from marriage. Yeah, I felt the kind of atmosphere in the room change a bit there. People going, Tim, don't go there. It's not, it's not, not safe ground. Okay, we're going to talk about marriage communication. And I used to think that communication was quite a straightforward process. You know, you, you say something, the other person listens, then they say something, and you listen, and it's a bit like tennis, just bop, 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 bop. I'm learning that communication is not a simple thing. <laughs> it's not a simple thing. So you have an idea or a concept that you want to get across, okay? That's number one. You have a meaning that you want to convey. And after that, you have number two, the actual words that come out of your mouth. Now, sometimes the actual words that come out of my mouth are not always a good reflection on the meaning I'm actually trying to convey. Sometimes I don't say what I mean. So already there's a bit of a a disparity between the two. But then number three, we have the words that the other person actually hears. And again, you would think that number three and number two would be the same. The words that are said and the words that are heard would be the same. But again, that's not really always the case. Let me show you what I mean. Then other times Bex has said to me, but I told you so-and-so was coming around. Or, I told you to go out and get some milk. And my, my reply is something like, you definitely didn't say milk. You definitely said bacon. I'm sure you said bacon. <laughs> Maybe I just like bacon. Um, but even if we hear the words right, then there's kind of step four. And this one's the clincher. There's the, the meaning we attach to those words. You know, we all have a filter. So, for example, a simple question like, have you taken out the recycling le- yet? Could have all sorts of meanings attached to it. When it gets to my, my mind, my heart, she thinks I'm lazy. 
She thinks I never do anything around the house. She's always telling me to do things. And so on, and so on, and so on. See what I mean? Now, I'm guessing I'm not the only one here. There's a few smiles in the room who have experienced something like that. But it's exactly the same with God. We all have our filters. And sometimes the words that we read or the words that God speaks to us, we, we have a filter before they get to us. And so when we hear words like, God loves you, he loves you unconditionally. We have a filter that says, you can't love me because of X, Y, Z, because I did so and so, because I'm broken, because I messed up, he can't love me. Or he doesn't love me as much as so and so out, such and such over there. Or if he loved me, then why did X, Y, Z happen? We have filters that come in that distort our view on who God is. And so we need to be continually feeding ourselves on the truth of who God is. And God is primarily revealed as his Holy Spirit speaks to us through his written word, the Bible, and through the life and the ministry of Jesus. This is no ordinary book. This is no ordinary book. These words contain life. And in these pages, we are drawn into an encounter with the living God. There's power in these pages. Do you believe that? That was a... Not a resigning yes. Do you believe that? <laughs> Excellent. Good. That's good. We'll do a preach on the inerrancy of Scripture. No, you don't want that. Okay, so, <laughs> so I want to um, look at one of the primary ways that um, God is revealed as we read these pages. And that is that he is a good father. God is a good father. I want us to be absolutely convinced today that God is a good father and you can trust him with your past. You can trust him with your present and you can trust him with your future. And that might sound quite simple, but, but believe me, there is real power in this. If we can only get a better revelation as God, of, of God as Father. At the church I was at previously to this, um, a, a few years ago, 10 years ago in fact, the pastor was, um, was really wanted to see the congregation um, break out in terms of uh, praying for the sick, seeing miracles, seeing the Holy Spirit move, and they wanted to, them to, to be, have the confidence to pray for people and for miracles to happen. And so he was asking God, God, send us someone who can help us with this. Send us someone who can help us to, to move into this. And um, a few days later, the phone rang. And there was someone on the other end of the phone saying, I can, I can help you. Uh, I can come and run a, a Father's Heart conference for you. And the pastor said, no, I'm sorry. That's not really what we're looking for. Thank you. But no, that's not really what we're looking for. Thanks anyway. And then when he put the phone down, he just heard God speak to him really clearly saying, you said, send someone who can help you. <laughs> Phone him back. <laughs> Thankfully, he did. And I tell you, the, the fruit that's come out of that, you know, as, as the, the church there, were, um, they had a goal. They wanted to see 30 miracles happen on the streets. They wanted to see 30 miracles happen on the streets, documented not in the church, but actually people healed or, pro- or words of prophecy brought out in the streets. You know, and, they, and that was like their goal as a church, if you like. And when, when the goal was first set, there was this kind of intake of breath as people went, ooh, that's, that's, that's a lot, you know. Couldn't have gone for like five or something. I tell you, after some time in the Father's Heart Conference, after, after God broke in in that ways, they put a zero on the end of the target. Started aiming for 300 instead of 30 because they'd gone so far past and they just stopped counting what God was doing. There was real power in knowing our identity and knowing God as far they all comes from that. 
And so now that they run a conference every year, they've run it for the last 10 years, because they've just got actually, yeah, we need this. Sorry, my notes. Okay, so we need to look at that. And so let's, let's have a look at the Bible. It's always a good place to start. Let's have a look at Luke chapter 15 together. If you want to have a look on that. Luke chapter 15. There's lots of different passages we could have used to, uh, to explore this, but this is one of the, uh, well, I think one of the best. It's one of my favorite passages, passages of Scripture. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. Um, your Bible might have a little heading, something like that, but those headings weren't originally in the Bible uh, to begin with. They've been added just to make it um, easier for us. And so the parable of the prodigal son, I think, is probably not the best name in some ways, actually. It could, have, it could better have been called, perhaps, the parable of the running father, or the par- your, your Bible might even call it the parable of the two sons. But as we'll see, the, the, the father in the story represents God, and it teaches us a lot about who the father is. And it comes as one of three parables that Jesus tells. It's all about something that was lost, um, a, a sheep, a coin, and a son. And it says in verse 2 that Jesus told these stories because he knew the religious leaders were being offended at him because he was spending time with the broken and needy people, because he was eating meals with them, you know, and they were offended by that. So let's pick it up in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And again, I don't want us to m- miss in, in our culture just exactly what was going on here. What the younger, said, what the younger son said was outrageous. He was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he was saying. I wish you were dead. Give me the money that I would get when you die now because I don't want to wait that long. What, a, what an awful and grave insult to say to the father. But amazingly, the father obliges. And it says not long after that, The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So again, culturally, we can miss things here, because Jesus was a Jew, and he was speaking to Jews, and this, uh, this story in that culture is shocking. Because, you see, for Jewish people, pigs are unclean. This was the lowest of the low position to be in. It was, it was a disgusting position to be in. It was immoral. It was wrong for them. Yeah, and so, yeah, this young son is at the kind of lowest low point you could possibly be. I, w- I was trying to think of a modern-day equivalent. Um, the closest I could come was probably substitute French teacher. <laughs> I, I should just check. Are there any language teachers in the room? Okay, I'm safe with that one, okay. If they are, you can come tell me off afterwards, I'm sorry. Um, but it, yeah, it, there isn't just really an equivalent to, um, to say what, how low he had sunk. And it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. You see how all of this view of God relates to us and relates to our actions and our behavior. See, the, the younger son sees the father and says, actually, I need to earn my way back. I've messed up so big, I need to earn my way back with him. He's never going to let me come back as a son, but maybe he'll come back as a servant. How many times do we do the same? God, I've messed up so bad. Would you forgive me? If I'm just good this week, if I'm just good today, if I just give money to charity, if I just go to church and listen to Tim's boring sermon, maybe then you'll forgive me. Well, there's no joke there, would it? Okay. Um, 
Let's carry on then. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Oh, there's so much for us here. I love these verses. His, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How did he see him? It implies he was constantly looking out, constantly scanning the horizon, constantly looking out for this son, wanting him, willing him to come back. And the father is filled with compassion. In fact, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 3 calls God the father of compassion. Do you know that God is compassionate? Do you know that he's compassionate and kind? And then the thing that he runs out, Jewish fathers do not run. They don't run. Okay, he would have been wearing a long robe. Okay, so try and picture the scene for a moment. A bit like, I guess, I'm trying to think of equivalent, a dressing gown. Pit, hitching up the robe and running out with his, it's like a skirt. Okay, he would have looked ridiculous. He was a Jewish father. He, had, he was a man of dignity. He had servants he could send. He didn't need to run. What were the neighbors going to be thinking about him? He would have looked ridiculous. And then he embraces him. He hugs him. He kisses him. Is your view of God a God who will, who will hug, embrace, kiss you? Or is he cold, standoffish, reluctant maybe? You know, being a parent, you get used to some pretty horrible sights and smells. Um, but I don't know if anyone's ever been at a, a, a situation where a baby's being handed round, you know, a, a newborn, and you get that kind of, Coo -coo -coo. oh, it's so cute. And it's like, you know, going past round and everyone's kind of cooing over it. Until, yeah, that moment when the odor, the odor emanates from this creature. And it's like, whoa, that's bad. <laughs> and suddenly this baby's like a hot potato. It's boom, 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 you know, passed on very quickly. And maybe it begins to cry until it gets to the parent. And I said parents are weird creatures. I don't know, I think it's the lack of sleep does some weird things to you. But firstly, if it's crying, you know, they, they hold the baby so close to them. They soothe it. And then they do this thing which only parents do. <laughs> I really don't understand it either. Is we turn it round, hold its nappy to our nose, and take a big, just to double check, you know, that, yep, yep, that's happened. And off it goes to be changes. But here's the point I'm making. People around us, when we're really hurt, really broken in a, in a tough place, people around us may withdraw. God never withdraws. He never withdraws from us. It's at those times he holds us especially close. It's, he's never put off by our mess. Right, where were we before I started talking about baby poo? We're at verse 21. Um, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And there's lots in here, and we could look at lots of bits, but very quickly, the robe, the ring, and the sandals are all kind of signifying the concept that this, this, um, this son is a son, not a slave. He's not a servant. You see, the servants wouldn't have had the, ro the family robe. They wouldn't have had the family ring. The ring, again, it, it, um, it signifies that he's got the, will of the, um, the approval of the family. He can do business deals. It's like an insignia. Okay, he's, he's part of the family. He's not a servant. Okay, and the same thing with the sandals. So, um, you know, the, the servants wouldn't have worn sandals. And then there's this feast, this celebration. Do 
Did you know that God the Father is lavish? Did you know that? He's lavish. He's not, he's not measured with his love. He's over the top. You know, um, a friend of mine says, you know, if God was a, a nationality, he's not a nationality, but if he was a nationality, he would not be British, <laughs> okay? He would not be stiff upper lip. If he was a nationality, he'd be like Latino or Italian or like, he's passionate, he's over the top, with, and he's expressive, he's emotive, he's lavish. Ephesians 1.8 says, God has lavished grace upon us. 1, 1 John chapter 3 verse 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I mean, David, who's, um, who was known as a man after God's own heart, when he wrote his Psalm 23, which is just a brilliant psalm, he didn't say, God has measured out a half cup of blessing in my life. He said, my cup overflows with God's blessing. God is lavish. Some of, us, some of us struggle with this, and we feel like we have to earn God's, our way into God's good books. But the story doesn't end there. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So, he's, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, not sure how he knows that, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost but is found. And it ends on a cliffhanger. We don't hear what happens to the older son. You know, recently, um, I was looking at this passage with, with someone, and um, uh, it was actually it was at a, a conference sort of thing, and it was kind of being t- we were being taken through it. We were being taken, kind of put into the story. And God kind of spoke to me, and uh, I already knew, okay, I already knew I'm a bit of an older son some, sometimes. I'm a bit of a, an older brother. Sometimes I can have that same grudging sort of, oh, but it's not fair in my heart. And, but we were asked to say, well, where would you be in, the, in, in that, that, that story? And I, I decided I think I probably would go to the party, you know, I felt like I, I'd be there, but I'd probably be in the kitchen washing up. <laughs> I think that's actually probably where I would end up. And it's like, I would want to be in the part, I'd want to be in the main room, I'd want to be celebrating with the singing and the dancing, but I'd just be that, there's that thing with me that would be like slightly grudging and be like, oh, I'm just going to go and do the washing up to show, I don't know, how much that I'm really happy about this, even though I'm really not. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know where you are, but I, th- I think God kind of spoke, spoke to me out of that and said, you know what, I, th- I think he was saying he would come and join me and talk to me in the kitchen and he'd be inviting me into the party and saying, come on, I want to celebrate with you too. And there's always that invitation that's there for us. But the key thing to realize is that both sons had a distorted view of the father. They both had a distorted view of the father. They just reacted differently. See, the younger son, well, they both doubted the same thing. They both doubted that the father was good and generous. You see, the younger son doubted he was good and generous, so he decided to get all he can and live his own way because he doubted that the father was really good and generous. The elder son also doubted that the father was good and generous. So he never asked him for anything. He never asked for a young goat to celebrate with his friends. He never believed he could ask the father. He just in- inwardly carried on grumbling. You know, I've been there before. I've, be- I've been there that place where you, 
trying to live as a Christian you, the best you kind of can, and yet inwardly you're hating every minute of it because it feels so hard. That's not, that's not the Christian life. That's not the joy God has for us. That's a distorted, where a distorted view of the Father will take you. If you believe he's a hard taskmaster, when actually Scripture says his burden, sorry, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's not disappointed with us. He's not disappointed with you. He's proud of you. He's pleased with you. He likes you as well as loves you. He likes spending time with you. Do you know that? It's the truth. He's generous and gracious. He loves to give us good things, says in Matthew 7. He pursues you to do you good. That way of putting it, he pursues you to do you good. You know, some of us have this idea that, you know, he's like the kind of waiting at a corner to trip us up. No, 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 he, he pursues you to do you good. He has good things to bring into your life. Psalm 84 says, the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. No good thing. You never miss out. God is a generous and good father. I tell you, that's liberating if we'll take those promises of Scripture and apply it to how we see God. It's because God is such a good father that we can trust him with our past and our present and our future. What do I mean by that? I think the past one, I mean, we've already talked about the, old, the, the younger son and the acceptance he received. But I, I want to also mention another part of that. Some of us, it isn't the wrong that we've done that's, that we're struggling with from the past. Some of us, it'll be the wrong that's been done to us. Some of us, it will feel like, how do I trust God with what has happened to me? And if, you, if you're in that place, I've got to say, that's a, it's a really tough, really tough place. I've been learning a lot these last couple of years about this. And this stuff isn't easy. It really isn't easy. Um, and I think the starting point has to be to understand what forgiveness really is. You see, forgiveness is different to excusing. Excusing says, it doesn't really matter what happened to me. It doesn't really matter. They didn't mean it. That, that's not forgiveness. That's excusing. But actually, forgiveness, to forgive, we have to say, admit, and own the fact that what happened to us was wrong, and it's not okay, and it hurt us. That's the starting point. It's actually to confront the pain. This was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. And there are natural questions that will, will come as part of that, and they're uncomfortable. God, where were you? Why did you let that happen? And too, too often we can sweep these questions under the carpet. Or they can be difficult for our, our friends and our family. They don't want to hear them either. They're difficult. They're uncomfortable questions. And so we can kind of stick a Romans 8.28 sticking plaster on it and say, it's okay, I'm sure God will turn it to your good. But the reality is actually sometimes we have to just be with people in, those, in that difficult place and the pain of that. It's the best thing Job's friends did before they started to lecture him, was just to sit with him. And here's my conviction, and I believe the Bible says it again and again, we do have hope. And once, we've, once we have confronted the pain of it, and we're wrestled with his questions, we do need to make a choice to forgive. Scripture is very clear on it. Almost certainly we need to do that more than once. And often we might need to do that with someone else. We've got the Living Free course that happens here. Um, there's also a great prayer ministry team who will pray with you. So you know, often we do need to, to do that with someone. But we have a real hope. And the hope of, of heaven begins now. 
you know, we, we, we have freedom, and it, and it actually begins now. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we have a hope that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. You know, I had the privilege of um, attending the Global Leadership Summit uh, last weekend, and uh, there we heard a story from someone whose name I'm going to struggle to pronounce, Immaculate Ilabagiza. Okay, I'm not going to say that again. But Immaculate's story was incredible. She had been part of the Rwandan um, genocide, as in she had been on the receiving end, her tribe. I didn't know much about this. I learned a lot. Um, you know, nearly a million people were, were wiped out. Absolutely awful, just simply because of what tribe they belonged to. And she was one of the very few to miraculously survive. And what happened is she was hidden in a house in a, a tiny um, bathroom of a local pastor. It was three foot by four foot, three foot by four foot. And in fact, she was hidden there with seven other women as killers went from house to house, massacring the people. And she hid there silently for 91 days, 91 days in a cupboard without saying anything, in silence, hiding in fear. And she'd been brought up with a Christian upbringing, but this was the first time it had really been tested for her to, to make sense of. And so she knew the Lord's Prayer, and she'd be praying the Lord's Prayer. And then there's the two lines in the middle where it says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And she didn't like that bit, so she sort of said so she used to kind of speed sort of say it in her heart. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And just kind of, kind of skip past it. And then she, after a while, that was still painful, so she just stopped saying it altogether. Just missed that part of the Lord's Prayer. She said, well, that actually felt a bit better for a bit doing that, you know, could just really me leave that bit out. So painful. You know, the people that were, you know, killing her family and, and friends. But she heard God speak to her in that place, in that cupboard, in that bathroom, tiny bathroom. And God said to her, and it's very challenging, he said, why do you feel the need to edit my prayers? Ouch. <laughs> and God can do that in a gracious way. And she made a really tough choice. She made a choice to forgive. And she emerged from that three-foot-by-four-foot three bathroom, having discovered the tr meaning of truly unconditional love. A love so strong, she was able to seek out and forgive her family's killers. Her family did die. She forgave them face-to-face. -face. Sort them out. Wow. Her book, Left to Tell, is one of the ones I'm going to try and get a hold of a copy of. I think there's just something God wants to speak to me in that. But I want to say this, he is a good, good father, and you can trust him with your past. You can trust him to be the judge. I want to say as well, um, part of this as well is recognizing that God's holiness means he doesn't condone what happened to you. He does not condone what happened to you. You know, again, too often as Christians, we can be so quick to move to forgiveness that we m miss past this, the, the, the important aspect of the fact that God is angry at sin. It wasn't his anger burns against the th things that happened. That's important. So you can trust him with your past. You can trust God with that. And you can also trust him with your present. You can trust him with your present needs. I remember um, when I lived with uh, I got my best mate Ben from university times, there came a time where he dr dropped the bombshell that he'd met a girl. And we'd been living together for years, okay, and he was like my best friend. And suddenly I knew things were about to change, you know, because they go off and they spend time with the girls. And it's great now. I've got one as well, and they're fantastic. But at that time it was like, Oh, no, you know, my best mate. And it was the first time in my life I'd actually really experienced loneliness. I didn't really know anyone at that time in that area very much, very well. He's my best friend, and you know, I knew, even I knew that three is a bit of a crowd. And so I, I remember I used to um, just 
I, I used to spend some time going to the local basketball court kind of in the evenings. It was floodlit. Um, no one else would be around. And I used to play God one-on-one. -on -one. That's what I call it. In my imagination, I'd just be kind of playing basketball, but like in my imagination, God's there with me. And, and I just talked to him about the everyday things of life, my day, good things, bad things. And um, I remember that time was the first time in my life I really knew, learned what it was to know God as the, my best friend. I wouldn't swap that year for anything. You know, yeah, in one sense I was lonely, but actually in another sense I discovered the best friendship I could ever have. God is my closest friend. I could just talk to about the everyday things of life. And I still, to this day, go back to that place sometimes, in a sense, not um, physically, but as in, in, in my, my heart, that relationship of God to know, oh, yeah, God, you're my best friend. I can just talk to you about the normal stuff of my life. And you care. You're going to meet my, my need there of, of just wanting to, to spend time with me. You can trust him with your present needs. Uh, Luke 11 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Say everyone. Say everyone. Everyone who asks receives. That's what it says. But we doubt God's goodness. We doubt that he really is a good father. We think he's going to give us a bad deal. So Jesus reminds us, and I think this is kind of funny, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Like, surprise! Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You know, it's kind of funny, really. But if then, though, though you are evil, know how to good give, give good gifts to your children, how much will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit or good gifts to those who ask him? You know, James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He doesn't keep shifting around, one day good, one day bad. He's a good, good father. So he wants you to ask. He wants, you, he wants to give you good things. He's utterly trustworthy. You can trust him with your present. How are you doing? We are coming into land, okay? The runway is in sight, okay? <laughs> Just turn to your neighbor and say, none of that applied to me so far, but you probably should listen to the next bit. If you have a neighbor. Okay. He's a good, good father. You can trust him with your past. You can trust him with your present. And you can trust him with your future. Isaiah 30 is a, um, there's a verse in that really is very significant for me. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When I first joined Forest Town, um, there, was, uh, there was another job on offer. And I'd gone to that interview first. And it, I'd been offered the job, but it just didn't sit right. I don't know why. I didn't have a piece about it. Um, and it was actually on the, the morning of the interview that um, Bex texted me this verse and said, this is my verse for the day. You know, we've been dating. I'm sure she was trying to get hold of me. Um, but actually, she didn't know that it had been very significant for me in my own life as well. God had used it to speak to me a number of times to say that he's with me. And actually, he'd been speaking as well over this job interview. And I'm sure my theology is way off here, um, so there's a little bit of a caveat. But when I look forward, I sort of, in, in life, I often see free will, free will and choice. And when I look back, I just see providence, 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 sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty. It's like, when I look back, I just see God's hand so firmly, so kindly placed over my life. His hands of kindness. I remember it was an, another time I was in a, a bench, uh, it was on a bench in the middle of Luton that I am um, disappointed by... Um, unanswered prayer, disillusioned in my faith, I actually told God, God, 
stuff you. I don't want to know you. I don't just want to know. Don't even want to know if you're real anymore. It was a very painful time in my life. And a few months later, God kind of put me back together, and a friend helped me to work through those things. And I stopped having my kind of tantrum with God. And two years later, he supernaturally answered that, the prayers that I'd been really disappointed about. He supernaturally broke in. It was an amazing breakthrough, and amazing freedom came. But it was a year after that where I just accepted a new job. And guess where? Luton. <laughs> that I had just wandered down the road, and I happened to stumble into that very same bench where three years previous I'd told God, I don't want to know. And so I did the only thing I could do. I recommitted my life and said, God, you are so good. You knew all along. You knew all along. You are so good. And I just told him there and then, you, you have my life. For better or worse, I'm never going back. And I have. You know, he's been so, so good to me. And it makes me laugh to think that as I was kind of ranting and raving at God and telling him, I don't want to know you. It's, it just, I just sort of smile and imagine him saying, I'll see you in three years. <laughs> who he is. And we heard some great stories last week of financial blessing, um, some amazing testimonies. And we just want to add ours to that as well. Um, as, as you know, Aunt and Helen announced that um, me and Bex will be moving on in January. Um, and we've been kind of part of that adventure for us as we've been loved, wanted to get on that housing ladder and start that, that journey. Um, and that's been a bit of a rocky road for us. Um, because learning to trust, because as we kind of added up our sums, we were thinking, okay, the, the area we're going to be moving to, Northamptonshire, we could maybe just get something. It's going to be, it's going to be really difficult, really, really tight. Um, and part of that was uh, for me that my my mum, kindly, when she passed away, had left um, some money and some shares to each of us, her four children. Um, and so, I kind of we kind of looked at it and said, well, we're going to need need that shares at least to have even have a chance. And so I phoned up, and I didn't know much about this sort of thing. We call it liquidating shares or whatever. I don't even know. But uh, I was kind of saying, okay, I, I think we're going to need to, to use this towards the house. Um, and I had a figure that I expected. And the figure that actually was given back to me was four times, four times what I expected. God, it's so good. And basically, in my head, I've been dividing the amount by four between the four children. But, they were, but he said, no, 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 it's already been divided. <laughs> you, you, it's already been quartered. And... Yeah, you know, suddenly that for us that hope of oh God, you know, you brought this to light at just the right time to give us a chance actually to get something to get going. And on top of that, we've had other financial provision too. God's been really good. My my new workplace is very kindly going to help us with moving costs, and we've experienced blessing upon blessing. And even looking back in our time in in, in Hatfield, there was a time when um, we were renting a flat soon after marriage, and it was quite early on in um, we, well, from our time with with um, Bex being pregnant that. Um, our landlord announced, oh, I'm going to be selling. And we were like, oh, God, where, where are you? Why are you doing this to us? This is the most stressful time. Why are you doing this? And it was through that that we actually ended up moving to, to Ruth's house. Some of you know Ruth. Well, she went across the Ukraine. And that's been such a blessing for us. Couldn't have, we couldn't, I don't think we could have, it wouldn't have worked. We were in our one-bed flat where we were. You know, it just wouldn't have worked. We had this blessing of this, this house. Again, God's blessing given to us. And we so easily shift back into grumbling mode, don't we? You know, we're kind of like the Israelites. We so easily kind of shift, shift back into that. But what about the next thing? And, what, and even house hunting yesterday with Bex, I've got to admit, you know, we kind of we went there and we just swang between hope and despair. It was kind of like, God, thank you. Then, oh, no, God, help. And then, you know, oh, maybe. And then, oh, no. And then hope and then despair and da, 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 da. You know, and it's, it's <laughs> I think it's human nature. But let's just remind me and you, he's a good father. You can trust him with your future. 
Romans 12 says that God's will for us is good, pleasing, and perfect. Hold on to that. Okay, we really must have reached the end of the runway now. So let me just sum up. Because the truth is we've only just scratched the surface of how good the Father is. But we can trust him with our past. We can trust him with our present. And we can trust him with our future. There's much, much more. But I, I want to pray for us. Um, so if we could have the band back up, that would be great. While, while they're coming up, why don't we just take a moment to uh, quiet in our hearts where we are. You might want to close your eyes. Just focus on your own walk with God. Focus on your own relationship with him, how you see him, what thoughts have been coming to mind as we've looked at things. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit and we're going to ask him to just come and reveal in our own lives how we're seeing the Father. The Holy Spirit reveals the Father. You know that? Jesus points to the Father. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fall on us now? Come show us the Father, we pray. Come show us where where we've had a, a distorted view, we pray. Come show us who he really is. Come break chains, we pray in Jesus' name. Things that have been locked up. Would you come and break through right now?